Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Back once again with a special edition of the GM Shuffle, Thanksgiving Day edition. And honestly, first and foremost, we want to give thanks to all of you out there listening because me and Mike could talk football all day and we could talk to each other all day, but it's without you, none of this would be possible. So thank you to all of you out there subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to you, Mike. Honestly, it's it's genuine what people say about our chemistry. We obviously like hanging with each other and talking with each other, and I'm having a blast, buddy. I am too. It's so I am so thankful for you. It's been incredible. I enjoy it, and we've just touched the surface. I'm I mean, there's so much more. I can't wait till uh, the 27th when I can watch the Irishman and then I can go back and compare it. I've got Bernadette and Pat. They're coming in. So we're all planning on a night to watch it. Oh. Of course, Millie thought it was at the movie theater. They're like, look up the times for us so we can go. You know the worst job in life is changing the channel with your wife there watching. No, you're going too fast. No, you're not going too fast. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? Like, I'd rather have eight hours of root canal than have to do that. I agree. I, I got problems. Proper remote control integrity here, okay? I don't trust anybody else with my remote. I know long how long to stay on a channel, the quickness with which you need to go. You're right. It's the worst trying to get someone to change. The, the best was last night. So Bernadette's staying at the house, so we're there. And, of course, naturally, I'm going to watch the Ravens and flip back to the 76er game. So I've got it on jump, right? Yeah. So I'm going. I'm not going to miss anything, right? She looks at Bernadette and said, this is the worst of all time. Like, this is the worst situation. It's like the worst storm of all time, which I do feel sorry for. She's a hell of a trooper to put up with me because I'm, I'm MF in the 76ers the whole game. Oh. And I'm coming back and watching Booger love Lamar, yes. how much he loves Lamar. Meanwhile, then somebody tweets out he wanted to make him a wide receiver. <laughs> I did see it's that. It's true. And, and then Booger responded and said, listen, you know, once you get more time, once you are able to evaluate a player, you know, you're allowed to change your opinion. How about Joe Tess? We're going to start with Lamar Jackson throwing five <laughs> touchdown passes. The Ravens just embarrassed the Rams 45 to six. He matches his career high five touchdown passes. He ran for 95 more yards. When he got that fifth touchdown, my man Joe Tess dropped. It's a Jackson five. Spur of the moment. <laughs> I loved call? it. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe in miracles? It's the Jackson Five. I, I mean, that. it was it was his finest out. My, I mean, he got away from sh- that man. Loves shallow like that a man. Lo- like he has to own a horse one day and call it shallow cross. I'm telling you, he has <laughs> got to own a horse and call it shallow cross. He loves it. But Tess loves the ponies. There's no question about that. Oh, he's got to buy a horse and name it. I mean, Parcells had one called Nickel Defense Sunday at one. He's got to have one shallow cross. I've already. Named- I said the million bird at last night. He loves shallow, and they're like, "What's a shallow?" And I explained it to him. That makes sense. And then of course. Of course, every time he said it, they were in tune to it. That's not really a shallow, is it? You know, they're smart. No, it's not a shallow. It's not. I love it. I mean, look, the one thing I will say about Booger, I think it's one of the greatest lines of all time, and I would urge people to do it. Forget politics now. I'm just going to share this wisdom with you because it comes from Judge Antonin Scalia, the former justice of the Supreme Court. Whenever he made a mistake or he got a decision wrong, he always said wisdom came later. And I think that that's a lot of people's reaction to Lamar Jackson. Wisdom has come later. No question about it. And last night, Mike, everyone always talks about, you know, a show showtime appearance, right? In prime time. He was so great last night. Even the L.A. crowd started serenading him with MVP chance. I mean, I, I started watching midway through the second quarter. And, you know, it's like, you know, flies to a you-know-what. Like, you're, you're just attracted to him no matter what because there's – you say, listen, the spotlight's on him, and yet everything he does. I saw that one play. He gets out of the pocket, throws the ball sidearm, right? Just kind of Patrick Mahomes style. On the, on the following play, literally, they show the 
defensive line open up and separate a hole, and he just runs 35 yards. There's a lot to admire about him, and we can go through each step of it. His arm strength, his ability to read plays. I think his decision-making is amazing too, don't you think? Yeah, I really do, and his instincts for playing the position. I mean, his way he decides to go and where he goes with running the football. And then I'm telling you, you know, they all say, hey, you got to be careful. He's running too much. I I think he's dishing out more punishment than he's taking. I mean, he's running with a purpose. You know, he's an angry runner when he gets out there. And I think he does have an instinct. Look, he's not perfect in the pocket, and he's not going to throw 40 times right behind the center and beat anybody, but he can make a lot of throws. He made them at Louisville. I mean, Petrino used to open up every game with some form of a bomb, some form of a of a deep shot down the field. And I would say, you know, 70% of the time he would hit on them. I mean, it was he threw a beautiful deep pass. It's the ones in between that 20-yard range that I think he's gotten a lot better on. And you're right, he is fun to watch. I mean, that crowd, I mean, last night, I mean, we, we saw the emergence of Lamar and we saw the death of a rich man in Jared Goff. Like, if you're the Rams, let's just take a moment and breathe on this one for a while. Where are you going? Where are you going? You got no cap room. You know, I took so much shit, AD. I went on Rich Eisen three years ago, and this is before McVay got there, and they asked me about Jared Goff, and I said, I don't see it. I think he's a seven-on-seven quarterback. I don't see it. And then he goes out, and they have a great year, and I get my ass hammered. And I kept watching him saying, if anybody hits this guy in the mouth, it's not going to be pretty. Great year. Then last year, they go to the Super Bowl. But let's be real honest. I mean, that's Rip Van Winkle's call away from going to the Super Bowl, right? That's an asterisk. We <laughs> Al Riveron. Rip Van Winkle. Yeah, Al R- Rip Van Riveron. I mean, that's a bad call, right? And now this year, they're just a disaster. They're just a dis- I mean, since the cold weather game back in Chicago, they're a disaster. Since the 54-51 to 51 game. And now, all of a sudden, you know, McVay's lost his star. And I think this, I think this is a great lesson to learn for all of us, is when you've made something better, you can't be so ingrained into it that you can't divorce yourself from it. What happens is now, all of a sudden, you become vested with the person that you've made better, and you can't objectively evaluate it. And that's what's happened to the Rams. McVay should have said, fellas, I made this guy a great player. I made him a great player. Like, we're going to give Goff 140 million. One of my great memories of all time with Belichick is I'm sitting there. We're working on contracts in 1993, and there's this left tackle named Paul Farron from Boston University. He's making like 450, and we're talking about what we're going to pay him. And Belichick looks at me and like, I have a real fucking problem paying Paul Farron more than I'm making. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, that's right. You're right, Bill. I get that's exactly right. Like, I got a real problem Jared Goff making more than McVay. Like that to me, McVeigh made golf. Golf didn't make McVeigh, and that's to me the fundamental. That's what drives me crazy. How do you make that decision? Yeah, and it's compounded upon another decision, which we've talked about in depth, which is that you've also got Todd Gurley on a terrible contract. He doesn't look 100% healthy. And so it's, it's one thing if you said, all right, it's already catastrophic enough when you make a bad signing with a quarterback for that kind of money for that many years. But you've also got an issue with your running back who you paid a ton of money to. you got two major mistakes. And oh, by the way, you made that trade for a key defensive player. And now you're not going anywhere. Like you tried to go all in and now you're six and five. You're not going to make the playoffs. Are you going to rebuild this team on the fly? you got two serious issues now on offense with two 
overpaid players in Goff and Gurley. Yeah, and now you got a stadium that's going to be $5 billion, and where are you going to get the revenue to pay for this? And your whole your whole point of reference is, well, we got to put stars in the stadium. Well, if you think people are driving on the on the 101 or driving on the 405 to see golf, you're fucking crazy. Like, ain't nobody sitting in traffic to go see golf, throw the ball five feet too early. Like, there's just not going to happen, okay? You know, you gave them all this money, and did you ask, ask yourself, are people going to pay to see golf? Like, the Rams are badly constructed contractually. Now, look, I, I mean, they made one great decision and hire this coach. And then they've every decision after they did, they've been, it's been horrible. But let me ask you this, though. Listen, a great coach can fix a lot of situations. Is Right? If you give Belichick a bad hand, if he's got injuries and stuff to deal with, he can find a way to overcome. Is there any way Big A can solve this? He, he could have solved it if he would have – the girly thing wouldn't have killed him. He could have gotten away with that if he wouldn't have gotten into the golf thing. The golf thing's got him hamstrung. Like, he actually needs a quarterback. Like, nobody wants to say it. We're not allowed to talk about it. It's, it's the untold. It's the elephant in the room. You know, we can't talk about it. Goff's not any good. Goff's not good enough. And then here's the fact. If he has to go back to any play, they're lucky. The Rams are really lucky the Redskins suck. They're really lu- lucky the Giants suck. Because in the old days when the Rams were good with Vince Ferragamo and, and Flipper Anderson and, and, and Jim Everett and those guys, they used to have to go back to New York and play in cold weather. Remember those days? <laughs> they don't have to do that anymore. If Goff's got to go back to cold weather, forget about it. So where are they going? Like, where are we going with this guy? Like, okay, yeah, he looks good when he plays against shitty teams. He plays against Atlanta's bad defense, and he has protection. And the defense promises to count the five Mississippi. He's going to be really good. But I got news for you. They're not counting the five Mississippi in this league. Like, he's, it's not a seven-on-seven game. He's got to play faster. They drank their own Kool-Aid. This is what I wrote. I wrote about this for the Daily Coach. It's called the Ego Mirror. Right, and, and this is where I think you make so many mistakes is because you look in the ego mirror. It's a great tale about this Latin American dictator who's sitting in his office and this rebel rising takes over. And the rebel rising, the leader of the rebel rising comes into the office and he takes over and he announces that he's now going to run the country and he's going to kill the dictator. And as the dictator's walking out, he says, you see this mirror on the wall here? This mirror is a magic mirror. It'll tell you who your enemies are. All you need to do is look in this mirror and kill that person and you'll be fine. Guy walks out. They, you hear the next thing, the guy gets shot. Boom, over, okay? He looks in the mirror every single time. He sees an enemy, has him killed. Sees another enemy, has him killed. Well, naturally, after he's killed all his friends, they're had enough of him. There's another rebel rising and they come in to get him. And nobody tells him to look in the mirror. And he looks in the mirror and always sees the reflection of himself. And the point of the story is your ego is your worst enemy. And that is the Rams. Their ego in believing that they were good is their own worst enemy. That's what killed them. Believing that it was, it's it's them. It wasn't Goff. Like, they're patting themselves on the back for drafting Goff. No, no. McVay made you at least look good. You could have gotten away with it. It's really bad. It's definitely very concerning because you're right. That was the biggest. There was two big things on Twitter last night. How great is Lamar Jackson, Lamar for MVP, and what the hell's happened to the Rams and how do they fix this thing? And one other thought here as we continue this Make Me Smarter segment on Lamar Jackson. How about that graphic in terms of rushing yards by a quarterback? Of course, I love Cunningham back in 1990 at 942 rushing yards. You always used to hear about Bobby Douglas back with the Bears when the great running quarterbacks. And then Michael Vick was over 1,000 yards, had the record. Lamar Jackson going into last night's game, Mike, on pace for 1,250. 
50 rushing yards. I had to do a double take when I saw that, and he ran for another 95 yards yesterday. That's amazing to me. It's phenomenal. And I think, to me, I, I don't think it's really talked enough about, here's the real issue when you play him. If you line up, when they're in those three tight ends, and you line up and you try to match them with big people because they're in three tight ends, and you try to get your size guys on the field, you're just not athletic enough to handle Lamar. And then if you go small, which is what the Rams try to do, play nickel, play a nickel front against them, you're too little. They'll just beat you up. And they run the ball, and all of a sudden you're onto their safeties and you're onto their corners, and they don't want to tackle anybody. So there's real an enigma here. And then you've got to be in great shape. I think if I was getting ready to play, if I knew I had a date with Baltimore, I would spend extra time on conditioning because Lamar's going to wear your ass out. Your defensive line is going to be tired. I would dress 10 defensive linemen for the game. I would dress more defensive players because every play with Lamar is a kicking game play. Every play with Lamar is a special teams play. And if you don't treat it like a special teams play and you guys aren't prepared to run 30 yards on every single play, he's going to wear you out. Your conditioning is going to be gone. The fact that he kills you in the first quarter and scores that many points because your conditioning is so shitty by the fourth or fifth play of the drive, you're out of breath. Conditioning is going to beat him, not scheme. Conditioning, setting the edge fundamentals. That's how you're going to have to beat him. But if you're not in any kind of shape, that's the first thing. If you're not in any kind of shape, he's going to kick your ass because he can run all day. It's like Scottie Pippen once told me, the great basketball player for the Chicago Bulls. I asked him one time, I said, Scotty, do you ever get tired? He said, tired of what? The thought of being tired never entered his mind. Like, you never see Lamar trying to catch. He's in, the mo- he's in perfect shape, and that's the real issue. If you're not in great shape when you're playing this guy, he's going to kill you. And speaking of getting killed, there's a lot of that around the Carolina Panthers right now. By the way, coming up, we're going to discuss the Thanksgiving Day game. That's why we're doing this podcast early. We're going to talk about the Thanksgiving Day games taking place, all three of them, plus our Thanksgiving Day memories. But before we get to that, what's next for Carolina? Panthers facing a lot of questions. And it starts out with this. Is what's going to happen with Cam Newton? He's got one year left at a very affordable deal right now, $18 million against the cap space, which, as Mike just illustrated in the case of Goff, who's getting you know $30 million against the cap space, $18 million. If you believe Cam Newton's a franchise quarterback, he's perfectly reasonable. Does Cam come back for one more year? Do you sign him to a long-term extension? Do you believe Kyle Allen is the answer? And does Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, stay with the franchise? There's a lot to discuss here, Mike, but where are you looking at with Carolina? Is the arrow trending up or the arrow trending down? Oh, I think the arrow is trending down. I think this is going to be a revamp. I think this is going to be a renovation project by David Tepper, the owner. I, I don't see anybody really surviving this. I mean, last week they struggled. You know, they, they they played as well as you could play against the, the New Orleans Saints and, you know, missed extra points and field goals. And, you know, they got caught in a bad storm and their defense hasn't really played very well, even though Riverboat's taking it over. I just think, to me, you know, the guy that bought the team is such an analytical purpose guy. He's thought things through the way he makes decisions. I think he, I think they're going to make a lot of changes in terms of their organization, front office, starting with somebody to run the football team. I think in the vein that he wants to run the team and not necessarily the vein in which traditional teams do it. I think he wants to run the team in a certain way. I think the one guy who's safe is Cam. I think everybody else isn't. And you know what? Five weeks ago, Cam was gone. Everybody was safe. I never bought that narrative. The narrative that I'm buying is no one's safe except Cam. Yeah, because he's the one who's actually affordable for one more year. It would make no sense to deal him right now. I mean, that would be a real lesson that, hey, you really believe like Kyle Allen is your answer, which I don't think anybody really feels like. At best, you'd say, I want to see a little bit more from him. I don't think right now, he's, yeah, Kyle Allen is better than Cam Newton, all things being equal. So I'm with you. I at least give Cam another year, and then maybe I pay him a big long-term deal or let him walk or trade him, whatever. But yeah, I, I, I tend to think I was always a little surprised by all those saying, well, Cam's done in Carolina. Listen, has his play declined? Absolutely. He's 
He's not the you know the MVP uh, uh, contender. He's not a guy who's taking his team to the Super Bowl. But I think he's better than Kyle Allen right now. If I had a choice between the guys. No doubt. And I mean, look, at, at $19 million, I mean, Jared Goff, just for example, his cap number next year is $36 million. In 21, it's 32 and a half. In 22, it's 30 and a half. In 23, it's 30. In 24, it's $26 million. I mean, can you? And we're talking about Cam being too expensive at 19. What do we call this? What do we call this? I mean, do you get like a discount? Is there a Black Friday sale for Jared Goff? <laughs> More disappointing, Wentz or Goff? Both have had disappointing seasons. I think it's Goff, but Wentz certainly has been a disappointment as well. No doubt. He's 10-12 and 12 over the last 22 games. I mean, Wentz looks to me like he can't get the ball into the end zone. He only wants to throw it to Ertz. There's no magic to him anymore. I don't really know where his leadership is. I think the other part about Lamar that goes unnoticed to the general public because we're not is his incredible ability to lead. Why do you think Joe Flacco got benched? Because John Harbaugh and our Marty Morning League decided, you know, Marty always knew he was going to be a starter by week eight. Marty had that notion in his brain he was going to make him a – no, because the team was like, look, this guy's really good. we got to play him. You'll lose the team if you don't. Why do you think Ryan Finley's on the bench and Andy Dalton's back in? Because at least Zach Taylor realized that, you know what, we could have won two games if I would have just played Andy Dalton because the team's going to turn on me if I keep playing Ryan Finley, who I happen to like, thought he was a good player, but based on the two games, no. Same thing with my man Mike Tomlin. It get, I'm not, one thing about Tomlin now, he ain't scared to make a decision. I'll tell you, he, nothing scares him. He's a He truly is Omar. He's going to walk through there with a the shotgun. He don't care, right? He's going to have the shotgun on his back. Rudolph, you ain't playing. Gave him one drive to start the second half. Probably wanted to bench him at halftime. Just didn't feel good about it. Gave him one drive to start the second half, and then he put the Duckster in, and he won the game. You got to give them credit for that, and I think that that's what happens. Is you got to be able to make these decisions, and I and I think when you look at these, Lamar can gravitate a team. The Duckster, he actually brings Pittsburgh together. There's something about a quarterback that brings you together. Wentz, I don't know if he brings anybody together. Yeah, it's definitely concerning right now in Philadelphia, and they got an absolute gimme here, right? They're eight and a half point favorites in the Dolphins. God help them if they can't win a game like this against a team like Miami, who obviously is not contending in any sense of the word. Coming up next, keep it rolling here on the GM Shuffle. We're going to talk about the Thanksgiving Day games. That's right. You've always got the Lions playing, got the Cowboys playing. What's going to happen with these teams? Obviously, the Lions right now, it's been a lost season as they take on the Bears and our MVP, Mitch. But Bills-Cowboys is a fantastic matchup. In addition to Saints-Falcons, we'll discuss it all next for you here on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second round playoffs have been unreal and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, time to talk about these Thanksgiving Day games. And first off, Mike, in terms of favorite Thanksgiving Day memories, for me, I just the image I always have is John Madden in the booth with Pat Summerall, <laughs> and they've got a giant turkey, and he's always talking about turducken, and the way he's explaining it, like Frank Caliendo used to do the great impression of him, still does of it. You know, he's, he's like a duck, and it's like a turkey, and the duck's inside the turkey. Like, the whole concept of a turducken to me is just incredible. Like you're just, it's meat upon meat, and Madden literally in the booth, telestrating a turducken. It was like one of the great memories ever. <laughs> it's so good when Caliendo would say, "You, you, you need to see, you, you, you need to see," you know, and like. <laughs> he would go into that. I'm all right. He did, I mean, he did Madden so good. It was unbelievable. My favorite Thanksgiving memory, because I grew up a Redskin fan, was Clint Longley. Roger Stahlbeck gets hurt. And as a fat kid, I'm full on turkey. You know, I'm just killing it, right? I'm so happy when Stahlbeck gets hurt. I'm like, okay, they, who could, they can't beat us now. And then Clint Longley comes in off the bench, and we get beat by the Cowboys by the backup quarterback. I'll never. That's a Thanksgiving I'll never forget. But there's no better – I mean – that's what makes the tradition of Thanksgiving so good. Football, high school football game, Ocean City plays Pleasantville in the morning. You go to that, little Bailey's, you go hang out, then come back and watch the games. I mean, we get to see MVP Mitch. America gets to experience. And the good thing, I, I think the best thing about MVP Mitch playing the early game, no one will have Ajita from watching him play because their bellies are full. He, we, we won't eat until after he's played. See, he can't make you sick. Although, having said this, the Lions' defense is awful. And as we've said in the past, if ever there's a time for MVP Mitch to shine, it's against the Lions because their secondary is so poor. Bears are 5-6. and six, Lions are 3-7-1. and one. So Chicago has flickering hopes of doing something. But Trubisky and this Bears offense, 29th. Who wins the battle of terrible aspects of a team? Bears offense or Lions defense? Well, remember two weeks ago we took the Bears on the on the shuffle and we said the Bears would cover, which they did. They were they were a six point favorite. I think they covered by seven, but it was a struggle. Remember Driscoll's throwing the ball in the end zone late. Now they're playing on the road. And one thing about the Thanksgiving Day game, I've I've been in it once when Barry Sanders played. It was ugly. We got destroyed. They come out. The, the Lions fans are tremendous. I mean, the Michigan football is great. High school football is great. College football is great. I mean, they got all those directional schools there in Michigan, and plus the big two, the two big schools. They love football in Michigan. I mean, it'll be a crowd. It'll be a lot of noise. And Detroit played them like really well the last game. I, I mean, right now, I think at the South Point, the line's three and a half, and, and my line's a little screwed up because my line says you know Detroit it, it should actually be the favorite. But my all my numbers on Detroit are, are partially based on majority of them are based on Matthew Stafford playing. So it kind of makes it hard for me to really get a handle. I mean, I'm not I'm going to give out all my picks on Friday on my Twitter account because I'm not picking any of these three games. I lean towards taking Detroit, but that would be just a lean because I think my numbers to say that I think Detroit will play them tough though. I really do. I think Detroit will play them tough, and the Bears were celebrating and they scored 19 points last week against a really now. 
AD, you can't get any worse than that New York Giant football team defense. You can't. And they scored 19 against them. <laughs> Leaning towards the lines. But like you said, you'll wait to make your official pick. And by the way, Mike's picks right now, 33-18-1 versus the spread. So make sure you listen to VEASAN if you want to see which way he's leaning. Bills, I can't wait to watch the Bills. 8-3 and three Buffalo team. Now, kind of playing the Rodney Dangerfield card right now, right? No respect. No one's talking about the Bills. Taking on the 6-5 and five Cowboys team. Can the Clapper and a number one ranked offense pull it off at home against a Bills team that maybe not enough people are talking about? How much heat is the clap? I mean, Jerry's not even backing off, is he? No, not this I mean, week. he's not backing off the clapper. He's like all over him. And, and you know, that whole article, that plant job that was in the NewJersey.com and then Rappaport right. wrote about it. I mean, you got to think that came from somebody close. To, I'm not blaming Jason because I don't think he had anything involved. But as instinctively, right, as an executive, you know, you the fans, we read this and we just read it for what it's worth. As an executive, you read it and wonder where the story came from. And you could be right, you could be wrong, but you read where it came from. And to me, this this plant job that, you know, the Giants would be interested smells like it came from out of out of the agency, whoever represents Jason Garrett. Like it seems like it came from there. And it couldn't have made Jerry very happy. It could not have made him happy to wake up on the morning of a big game, you're playing New England and reading that your head coach would be a number one candidate for the Giants, which I, I happen to not believe whatsoever, okay? I don't. Now, today there's a report Matt Rule and Jason Garrett would be in strong considerations at the Giants. No doubt Matt Rule's going to be in strong consideration anywhere he wants to be a coach in pro football. Two years ago, the Indianapolis Colts interviewed him. Everybody laughed. Everybody laughed that they interviewed Matt Rule. Why would they do? He's 1-10. Right, he went up there. Got the, he got the interview last year. The Jets almost hired him. He really said, told the Jets, Alfangul, you know, we got nothing. I, if you want me to pick my the staff, then I'm out." Right. So rules got a little bit of swagger now. But the reality of it is, is is like if you're Jerry and you read this on the game day, I mean, like, come on, seriously, this is what we're gonna do. I think the Clappers got the heat turned up. And, you know, we talk about their special teams are atrocious. They're 29th, and, and they're, they're in the bottom third in every area of the kicking game. The Bills are good in the kicking game. Andre Roberts returns. You know, Josh Allen's got to play better. You know what the thing I tweeted out the other day, AD, is interesting. Every quarterback in the Lamar Jackson draft, every quarterback other than Baker Mayfield, every quarterback in the Lamar Jackson draft, the team's traded to get him which tells you that was the guy they wanted. That of all the five, they picked the one they wanted. Like, I think if Buffalo had the option between Darnold and Allen, they were going to pick Allen. I think Rosen was always going to Arizona. I think Steve Kime liked him. Now, maybe Steve Kime took the lesser of two, but typically when you're putting your board together, you never settle for a guy. You don't trade up for a guy. You wait for the guy, right? You wait for him. So all of them did, and all of them passed Lamar. Yeah, it's crazy to think about, obviously, the Lamar story and all that. But you're right. For the Bills, you say, do they have the answer? If they're going to win, they're going to rely on their defense, rely on their running game. Obviously, Frank Gore, where the story was, uh, he's now third all-time, the rushing yards. And, and that that's what makes things interesting is, I think, how well the Bills' defense does in terms of containing Dak Prescott and keeping Ezekiel Elliott under wraps. That, to me, is going to be the interesting matchup. It will be. And Singletary, the other back, you know, to go with Gore, I think them running the – can they run – last week they ran the ball against a really good Denver team. This is going to be an interesting game. I think the line is the line at the South Point is six and a half. My power ranking line says Dallas by two. So 
I would lean towards taking, you know, I would lean towards taking Buffalo in this because I think that getting the points on the road, you know, road dogs have played really good this year. So we'll see. It'd be a fun game to watch. At least we can eat dinner and not throw up watching MVP <laughs> Mitch. We can at least settle down. <laughs> exactly. Let that uh, gravy kind of start to ferment a little bit. Exactly. Uh, as far as the final game of Thanksgiving Day, it's Saints and the Falcons. Now, the Saints are 9-2, and two, Falcons are 3-8. and eight. Don't forget, the last time these two teams met, we said watch out for division games and even the fact that Sean Payton knew, like, watch out for the Falcons. He tried to warn his team these guys play us well, and it was the Falcons who, with a very inspired defense, were able to really make life miserable for Drew Brees. My feeling is, Mike, the Saints have learned their lesson. They come back stronger, but the game's in Atlanta. What do you think? 9-2 Saints, 3-8 Falcons. I think this is the one the Saints get back to them. I think this the second time is always the hardest. The line at the South Point six and a half. I have the Saints as an eight-point favorite. I lean towards taking the Saints. If this was a game played on Sunday, I would be all over the Saints. I think the Saints will play really good. I think Breeze showed – you know, I wrote a column about him about how I thought his arm was really not good against Tampa – and it wasn't, but back in the dome, it looks good. Back in perfect conditions, it looks good. I think Sean, the last two weeks, isn't happy with the way his team's played. It's a short week. I'm sure he's going to have them ready to go. And Atlanta's defense against – when they played last week against Tampa, I mean, I know Jameis threw two picks. He's, Jameis is the – he's the positive and negative for the Bucks. He can win them and he can lose them all within a series. So I'm going to lean the Saints here. All right, those are the games to look forward to on Thanksgiving Day. And, of course, just a major game to look forward to, 49ers and Ravens. San Francisco at 10-1, and Ravens 9-2. and We're not doing a pick here, but I can't wait, Mike, to see that number one or one of the top-ranked defenses in San Francisco versus Lamar Jackson. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, and, and the line after last night went up. Baltimore's up by six. I mean, that tells me you, you got five and a half or six. The line really has moved there. It, it's funny how the schedule, like who would have thought this game would have been a marquee game? And they have it at one, they even, they have it at one o'clock. It's not even the Sunday night game. Wow. Right. They have it. They didn't even move it to four. Weather's going to be a factor here. We'll see what happens weather-wise. It's supposed to get some kind of storms, as you know, coming in. Who the hell knows? Wind's going to be a factor. So I think you know this is a game that's hard to handicap because we don't know quite what the weather's going to be like. But it's two. It'll be two fun teams. It, it really. So I have San Francisco ranked number one in my power rankings. New England two and Baltimore three. And I would say they're all within a point of each other in the power ranking. Wow, that's awesome. Cannot wait to see that game coming up on Sunday. Coming up after the break. Huge weekend for college football. Rivalry weekend, including the Iron Bowl, Auburn, Alabama, plus pro football focus. Does that make a lot of sense to us? And will anyone ever beat Emmett Smith's rushing record? All that more, plus Sopranos Con, other stories from that event. That's next. All right, we are going to get to the GM Shuffle mailbag of a pro football focus. Talk a little Iron Bowl, Sopranos Con in just a second. But first, Joe, what is your question for us this week? Now that Frank Gore is third on the all-time rushing list at 15,289 yards, he's still 3,000 yards away from beating Emmett Smith's all-time rushing record. Do you guys think anyone will ever beat Emmett Smith's record? You know, I know that records are made to be broken, but I can't see it happening, Mike. 18,335, considering the way that football has transitioned and just the emphasis on this being a passing league, I suppose at some point maybe it'll revert back to, to running being important as well, but I can't see it happening anytime soon, man. That's a, that's a gargantuan number. I mean, you think about numbers in pro sports. It's not like Cy Young's 511 victories in baseball, but it feels like it. I, I can't imagine anyone coming close. I, I'm with you. I think it's like DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. I think it's too hard. The game's moved away from the rushing element. Now, maybe it'll come back with Lamar, but I'm with you. I don't think it changes. 
All right, let's talk with the GM Shuffle mailbag. As always, you can hit us up, thegmshuffle at gmail.com. This is a great question from Nate. I'm uh, upset I haven't asked this myself to Mike because I've heard Chris Collinsworth talk a lot about pro football focus. So Nate's question is, hey, guys, I want to ask Mike what he thinks of pro football focus's player grading, data, and analysis, and how much, if any, he would use it to inform his decisions as a general manager. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I would not allow them to – tell me who they thought was good or who was bad. I think that the way that I always did it when I was there was the, here's your, here's the list of players they think are really good and then go watch them and just form your own opinion. They basically, to me, serve as a list gatherer. I'm not going to go with somebody because remember, scouting is all about finding players that fit what you want to do. Scout inside out, not outside in. And it's hard for somebody who's sitting in an office in Cincinnati or wherever the hell Pro Football Focus is based out of that's really going to be able to say what we need to do in our system and our and the qualities we need to function the best within what we're teaching and what we're trying to get done. As an executive, I'm probably the, the scouts, and we need to know that, the guys outside. So it's really more just a gathering of information. You know what's funny? This week, I, I, this blew me away. I was listening to Gil Alexander's show, and he, he always guesses the lines every Monday morning with Chris Andrews, who sets the lines at the South Point. And this is where I start to have problems. And I was using QBR rating in my power rankings you know, but then this one just threw me off the loop. This week, we now I watched Jimmy Garoppolo play. I watched him play, and I thought he played pretty well against the the Green Bay Packers. Right? You would say, right? He played pretty good. Yeah, sure. Okay, played pretty good. I mean, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was. Oh my God! But it was pretty good, right? What he threw four touchdown passes. I mean, it was it was a really good day. His QBR rating of that game on that show. They basically said his QBR rating, Jimmy Garoppolo's QBR rating, was 18 for the game. Now they've changed it to 24. It went up to 24. They had it at 18. And he's in the company of Jarrett Goff, Matt Ryan. Now, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, the worst quarterback last week was Mason Rudolph and Brandon Allen. But originally, when he first looked at it, his number was 18. He was the lowest-ranked quarterback of the week. And then it changed. So I think you have to use it. And then visualize also what you see. Like Lamar was the number one quarterback of the week. Baker Mayfield was two. Ryan Tannehill was three. James Winston was four. Darnold was five. I think all of them play really well. Breeze was six. I don't know how much better you can play than Breeze did, but he was sixth. Interesting. Like I said, use it as a guy, but it's not the be-all, end-all. Speaking of be-all, end-all, it's one of the great weekends in sports for college football fans. Rivalry weekend. And Gus Malzahn can do something in Saturday's Iron Bowl only one head coach has done before. Nick Saban has been the head coach at Alabama 13 seasons going back to 07. They've gone 156-22 and 22 during that span, losing no more than three games every season. And two of Saban's 22 losses came against Auburn teams coached by Malzahn. So like Malzahn, Urban Meyer, you know, Hugh Freeze, Davos Sweeney, they've beaten Saban twice at Alabama, but only one of those coaches, Les Miles, has done it three times. Can Gus Malzahn, he gets a golden opportunity here at home, Jordan-Hare Stadium, no to a tongue of Iowa, can he knock off Saban and the Tide? I'm telling you, I think if he doesn't, it's gonna they're going to liable to run his ass out of town. He's got that $7 million buyout. I mean, he's got it. This is the perfect storm. I mean, his defense, as I've been saying on the pod, his defense is one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, the way they played LSU, the way they played Florida, the way they played Georgia, they're one of the best defenses in the country. So I think that if he doesn't do it here, I would suggest that, you know, that for sale sign happens. around. I mean, Gus going to want to try to get out of that. Maybe he'll be interested in the Arkansas job at that point. I don't know. But the reality of it is, is I think he's got to win this one. And look, if Mac Jones and the and Alabama wins, 
and they win in Jordan Hare and they do it, how do you keep him out of the Final Four? You, do you keep him out of the Final Four because Tui's not there? If Mac Jones plays well, there's so many implications in this game. It's going to be fun to watch. I think Auburn wins, but I think it'll be a hell of a game. It is going to be a ton of fun to watch. Look forward to the Iron Bowl. It's always an epic matchup. Just college football in the South, particularly those two teams, it's always something very special. Speaking of something very special, I got to make my debut, Mike, on NFL Network. Unbelievable. I got a text from the NFL Network wow, news desk. nice for you. And they said, hey, do you mind if we use a picture of you from Sopranos Con? I said, sure. I had no idea what picture they were going to use, how they were going to use it. And so sure enough, Peter Schrager, love the Schrager bombs, is talking about what happened in the Meadowlands, and he shows off Sopranos Con. Did not realize Schrager, like you and me, is a huge Sopranos fan. And, and they showed the picture of me with Richie Aprile. He goes, there he is, David Praval, one of the great villains, and here's Adnan Verks. That would have been nice they mentioned the GM shuffle, but thanks again to NFL Network for being as big a fan of Sopranos Con as you and me were. And what did you think when you saw that picture of Richie Aprile, David Praval? I mean, I think living with Janice caused him a lot of agita and grief. There's no <laughs> doubt. I mean, but the, she could do that to anybody. Every time I see every time I see him, though, I love it when Janice is by the bus crying, hey, what did you do with him? And he says, we buried him on a little hill by a lake with a nice tree like he goes into this whole dissertation well i wanted to I mean, talking about quotes i wanted to say to him it's the jacket i mean there's so many great quotes from richie Aprile, it's the that's jacket i mean it's so good i mean god he didn't look good but i mean i love when they take davy down at the store at oh, the thing robert patrick davy scatino and tony tried to save him davy you don't want to be a part of this game but he wants a few boxes of ziti he wants to play poker game. the executive game what a disaster that guy was Oh, it's so good. I, I can't believe the pub that SopranoCon got. I mean, it's just remarkable how popular the show is. And I'm just jealous that you were there. And I'm sure there's probably still a line for Adriana in there. <laughs> You're not kidding. It's still probably going on right now. I, you know the guy, who is your favorite villain? Who is your favorite villain? That's a great question. So my buddy, he's 60, said, you know, I saw the picture of Richie Aprile. Tell me the favorite villain you think on The Sopranos. You know, I think Frank Vincent's pretty great, man. Phil Leotardo. The fact that he was Billy Bats in Goodfellas, the fact he's in Casino, the fact he's in Raging Bull. I mean, just his whole mannerisms, his whole demeanor. You know, the fact that he says, it's one of my favorite lines in The Sopranos, there's no scraps in my scrapbook. Like, he's so vindictive <laughs> to us. one of the great lines. Like, he's just you know, unbelievable. I loved him. I want a man of gut. I settled for grilled cheese on a radiator. I mean, that's one of the great yeah. lines of all right. time. He says, I wanted to have sex with a woman. I had to settle for masturbating into a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no scraps in my scrapbook it's that he's good i mean i thought richie april was really good at it's too i think ralphie was was good oh you know the difference between richie and ralphie was i just felt richie was smarter you know i'm old school kid i thought he was smarter and more calculating and kind of whereas whereas ralph was more flamboyant you know and and so i mean think about ralph's he's he's sleeping with he slept with janice he slept with uh rosalie april (laughs) (laughs) the other thing too about ralphie is he was a good earner like he's a psycho he's into a lot of deviant stuff but listen that's the case of the mob right mike as long as you make some money and ralphie is a great earner say that for him yeah ralphie was a great i think somebody asked me the other day like who would you equate the cowboys to and i think you know they're a little bit like richie april you know they're they're old school Right, you know the Jerry. They're old school. I don't know how smart they are, Clapper. Right, I don't know how smart they're tough. Richie Aprile was tough. I mean, you know, look. At, how about when Uncle Junior said, "Look at the size of that man." He, you know, he's a tough guy, right? Uncle Junior, you know, tough. But they're going to get whacked. Like you know, they're going to get whacked. Like you knew when Richie was doing yoga with Janice, he was going to get whacked by the end of the episode. You just knew it. I tell you, though, one of the great shocking moments of The Sopranos when Janice kills Richie. 
I mean, he's he smacks her, and you go, oh my god, she just killed him. No doubt, no doubt. I mean, they're drinking Sinatra's favorite, his mother's favorite wine. Oh, yeah. He's drinking. He's pouring that on the table. It's Chianta Classico. Oh, it, it's like like that was a there's a reason that wine was on the table. That's how good Chase was at the details. Well, I love when Davey sees Sinatra and he says to Tony, he goes, he goes, so what do you think? Meaning, what do you think would be in the game? And, Frank, and Tony says, hey, it looks a little like Frank, a little, especially around the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, our producer Joe is throwing in there that uh, Ralphie is actually Antonio Brown. Problematic, but produced well. Yeah, that's right, no doubt, and probably the top three of uh, of the receivers. There's no doubt he's yeah Antonio Brown. I, I got that, but you know it, they can't sustain it. It's unsustainable. Yeah, I mean it really is. How about Tony sitting there after he kills Ralph, eating peanut butter out of the jar? Is that classic? <laughs> It's a gift that keeps on giving. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. Have a wonderful time with your families. You too, my friend, to your family. Thanks, Mike. You too.